Something Has to Change, a great new song from Rodney Crowell on KRCL 90.9. Look for that on his new album, Triage. And starting us off at the 6 o'clock hour in Radioactive, that was Pretty Persuasion from R.E.M. Off the Reckoning album, came out in 1984. But today is the day, 10 years ago, that Michael Stipe, Peter Buck, all the boys broke up that band. And they issued a 50-song playlist to acknowledge that milestone. And they've also reissued the 1996 album New Adventures in Hi-Fi, which marks its 25th anniversary. I'm Laura Jones, and this is Radioactive, plugging you into your community five nights a week from 6 to 7, community conversations, and a playlist to match. Tonight, we're going to talk with some grassroots activists that have to use their persuasion skills on issues related to the Environment 100% Clean Energy Program with the Utah chapter of the Sierra Club. We'll be talking about that tonight, as well as the global climate strike coming up on Friday this week. But we're going to get started tonight with two women who are part of the Stop the Polluting Port Coalition. Earlier this week, the group held a press conference just a couple hours ahead of a Utah Inland Port Authority board meeting, and they're going to tell us all about how they felt their pressure brought to bear stopped the board from the creation of a public infrastructure district intended to issue up to $150 million in debt to be paid off, they say, with Salt Lake City property tax revenue. So let's pass that microphone to two grassroots activists tonight. I'm Dita Seed, and I'm with the Stop the Polluting Port Coalition. And I'm a part of the coalition because I'm deeply concerned about Salt Lake City's air quality and um, the sustainability of the Great Salt Lake. And the polluting port will impact both of those things negatively. Sarah. Hi, I'm Sarah Buck, and I'm also with Stop the Polluting Port. And um, I'm involved because I think it is a, um, perhaps the biggest decision that's going to be made in this state, the biggest um, consequence to the people of the state in the whole time I've lived here. And um, as I said, the more you learn about it, the more you realize that the people need to get involved in this process because it will impact all of us. Let's bring folks up to speed then, Sarah and Dita, because earlier this week, the Stop the Polluting Port Coalition held a press conference hours before the board met to consider, oh, a new new public infrastructure district to issue up to $150 million in debt to be paid off with Salt Lake City property tax revenue. We know the taxing issues of the Inland Port have been of huge concern to a variety of folks, and the Stop the Polluting Port Coalition short of stopping it, is trying to make them be transparent in their financing of the work out there. So, Dita, can you kind of summarize what was about to happen on Monday? You guys were successful in getting them to delay a vote. Yes, uh, temporary delay. Um, So what was about to happen is that the Port Authority Board was going to vote to create this public infrastructure district, which would then go and bond for, as you said, up to $150 million at probably 8.5% interest, which means that what would have to be paid back over the years would be $255 million. And this would come from Salt Lake City, 
property tax revenue. Um, so that in itself is of deep concern. Um, but the other issue um, which looms over this is that the money is intended uh, to be used to build a transloading facility, which really is the linchpin of the inland port. The Port Authority says all the time, it's a done deal, development's already happening, et cetera. But they've also made clear to the legislature that it's not an inland port without a transloading facility. And so here we are at this moment in time where decisions are being made about what actually creates the inland port. And yet the public has little to no information about what this transloading facility would consist of. What we do know is that it's intended to help the ports of Long Beach and the port uh, of Oakland. Um, in, and um, it would take containers or, or it would be a place where containers from those ports would be unloaded and uh, put on trucks in Utah. So in, you know, in, or sorry, so in Long Beach, I might've said the port of Los Angeles, it's the port of Long Beach. Um, the, the shipping containers would go onto trains, they'd be shipped to Utah and they'd be offloaded here onto trucks, which would create for us thousands and thousands of additional truck trips, which would create lots more pollution. Sarah, um, talk to me about what you think is or isn't the transparency going on here. I understand from press release your group sent me that you feel that this particular item to create this public infrastructure district was only noticed to the public 24 hours in advance um, on a Sunday, I guess, Saturday or Sunday, and the meeting then on Monday. Right. So I think the transparency to the public is a, a problem throughout this process, not specific to justice. But I think in this situation, um, Mr. Hedge may have overplayed his hand. Mr. Hedge, Jack Hedge being the head of the uh, Port yes. Authority. I think his transparency failed even his own board members. Um, he kind of, this came up in the last public meeting of the Utah Inland Port Authority. And I was on that meeting and it looked to me like the court uh, board was shocked by this proposal. I saw people shaking their heads, people asking questions and saying they hadn't had enough time to digest this. So I think Mr. Hedge kind of used the same card on his board that he's been using on the public for quite some time. And he launched that at them and was expecting to do a vote that day. So that then got, they said, we're going to hold off on the vote. And then it was rescheduled and we got the 24 hour notice. And I believe, I believe that the reason Mr. Hedge canceled the vote is because he doesn't have the votes. It isn't because he cares about not, not fanning the political fires. I don't believe he had the votes. And I believe he doesn't have the votes because perhaps for the first time, his own hand-picked board is questioning the, the decisions that he's putting out there. You know, this idea of, of, of eight and a half percent interest rates um, being passed on to the public. And, and I just think he gave so few details to all of us that there are a lot of questions. And I think his, yeah. even his own board is feeling that. 
Dita, you're a former Salt Lake City Council person. You know a lot about what goes on behind closed doors, so to speak. But what I'm more interested in was your experience as a city council person on RDA development and interest rates, because as you note in your information about this, that um, 8.5% is more than three times greater the interest rate the city receives when it issues bonds. That doesn't seem like a good deal. No, it's not. And typically municipal bonds are at one you know, 1% interest, 2% interest, I mean, eight and a half is an unusually large amount. But um, in, um, in their response, so the city, the city, uh, Salt Lake City Council and the, the administration wrote a letter to the Utah Inland Port Authority staff to Jack Hedge and Dill Flagair, who are the two uh, main people at the Port Authority and said, uh, asked, a, you know, a series of questions. And one of them, uh, was about the interest rate. Um, and what what Jack and Jill wrote back is that there's urgency to this because interest rates will go up even further in the near term. And so um, they're trying to rush this. Uh, I, I submit that it's not just about interest rates, but you know they, they're trying to rush a lot of things that have to do with this project because they simply do not want the public to be engaged. This really is, um, the Utah Inland Port is really being driven by development interests, by money interests, by the development interests that control the legislature. And, you know, uh, they, they have very little concern, unfortunately, about the public consequences of all of this. Um, so, they're continuing to rush. And um, it may be that we will see this back uh, for a vote in the next couple of weeks. Um, In the meantime, we're going to organize to put pressure on the board. The board does contain some elected officials. Um, Salt Lake County has two seats on the board. um, And I don't think that the public has uh, really directed questions to Mayor Wilson or the county council in the way that needs to happen. And so we're gonna urge people to do that. Um, there's also litigation hanging over all of this. And um, you know, the city, the city sued the state, Salt Lake City sued the state. Um, uh, that is on appeal at, well, and a, a district court judge found in favor of the state, um, but that has been appealed to the Utah Supreme Court. They heard oral arguments in the spring Um, based on the questions that the justices were asking, it sounded like they were sympathetic to the city's case. So we could be hearing from the Supreme Court, the Utah Supreme Court at any time. And if that decision favors the city, then the Port Authority is in a whole lot of trouble. And it sort of also begs the question, why is the Port Authority rushing this um, when they could be in a situation where they are completely dissolved as an entity? That's one of my questions, because you already have the Utah Inland Port Authority and this legal case going on about jurisdiction, and then they are attempting to create within the Port Authority a public infrastructure district with no elected representation, and yet still using those property tax dollars from Salt Lake City. I mean, I think one of the things that's happening here with this frantic activity that we're seeing from the Port Authority is that they're trying to, this has been true all along, they're trying to make their existence inevitable by digging a hole. I'm using that figuratively, but, you know, they're, they're digging this hole, uh, spending money, um, you know, creating these projects to make it harder to, to 
fill in the hole should they go away. Um, so they're trying to create a narrative of inevitability. Um, you'll hear Jack Hedge all the time talk about how the port is a done deal. However, you know, he also says to the legislature, it's not an inland port without a transloading facility, which sort of puts the lie to it's a done deal. Um, it, you know, it's a, again, it's about uh, money interests running over public interests. And, um, you know, we are prepared to bring litigation on our end once we start to see what it is they actually intend to build. Um, and we'll keep up our efforts um, to protest this outrageous misuse of public money and, um, you know, abuse of authority that they've been, we think, wrongfully given, illegally given by the legislature. Sarah, what would you say to folks out there listening about activism and the ability to make a difference? I mean, this has been an ongoing um, David and Goliath battle with the Utah Inland Port Authority. Um, like Dita just said, uh, development interests versus residents of the area and their quality of life from from cradle to grave. Um, you got involved in the Stop the Polluting Port Coalition three years ago, and you're still engaged. Why stay on top of this issue? I'm so glad you asked that question because I I spent a weekend um, at one of the fairs talking to people about the inland port, and so many people have bought the it's a done deal, and it is not a done deal. I, I think one of the most telling things is those properties have been for sale, and nobody's bought them. Um, I think that that a lot of business interests are watching what's happening here, and they're recognizing it's an unwanted development, and they're steering clear of it. They also see it's under litigation. I think the more civic involvement we have, the more people who step forward and take a stand and have their voice hear, heard, the better the outcome will be for this, um, this whole project. And I say that I've come to the realization that um, even if we didn't stop the port, I know that all of the work we're doing is making a difference in how they're proceeding. I know that without this coalition, they would be so much further down this track and we would have so many fewer details. Um, even though we have very few, we're calling them out on that regularly. We're doing um, grammar requests because they don't make information readily available. We're, we're forcing them to be accountable. And I think that's such an important part of this process. And I've learned so much in, in that way from being part of this coalition. So in I your, think people go ahead. I just think people need to realize, you know, the the pipeline that we watched get shut down. That was a 10 year battle for the and I, it's escaping my brain now. The name of the pipeline in the Dakotas. Um, anyway, it was a 10 year battle. These do take a long time, but goodness prevails sometimes in your quest for public records from a government entity under grandma. Have you been successful? Have they been timely in their response? Not at all. Um, we actually have looked at the satellite ports and um, I believe we requested some, you know, really basic information from like 20 different entities. And I believe seven responded and 
and most of those took at least three requests before we got any response. Um, it is truly stunning how much they are avoiding requirements. And, and the other part that's stunning to me is how much public money there is involved and how little accountability there is for that use of public money. Laura, you mentioned, you know, creating this, this new entity, but they also have basically created their own bank and the legislature gave them money to do that. And so all this public money with no accountability should make everybody pause and say, what is going on? This is a private, this is private enterprise out there. And yet all, I mean, millions of public dollars are being spent. Dita, the legislature has $3 billion more in revenue than expected as they start into their budget process in anticipation of the general session in 2022. Any concerns that they might give the Inland Port the money it seeks to bond? Uh, well, there's concern that they might give the Inland Port money. <laughs> um, and actually, we heard this from Senator Romney, who was speaking to the Salt Lake Chamber of Commerce. And by the way, Senator Romney's son is a satellite port developer. Josh Romney is trying to develop a satellite port in Tooele County. Um, but Senator Romney said that the infrastructure money could go to assist in Limport development. Um, I think he was referring to rail-based development, although it was not entirely clear. So we'll have to watch that very closely. Um, but, you know, as Sarah just said, at the heart of this, these are subsidies to private business interests. And, you know, Utah is uh, supposed to be a fiscally conservative state, but we're, we're acting like a socialistic kind of state in the way that we're handing out public money to help these private businesses make money. And, you know, the exhibit A example of that is that this that in the port's business plan, several of the property owners said that it would not be profitable for them to develop this undeveloped land north of I-80 that we're so concerned about without a transloading facility, without a rail yard that's publicly built. Um, and so that's just outrageous in my view. And uh, you know that's what should cause taxpayers to engage with their elected officials. There are five city council seats up this year and Salt Lake City certainly has a role in, and it will be more defined once we hear from the Supreme Court, in how development proceeds in this area. And I think everyone should be asking city council candidates, how are you going to uh, deal with issues around the Utah, the proposed Utah Inland Port? Dita and Sarah, how can folks get involved in this issue? Is there a website we can direct them to or social media for Stop the Polluting Port Coalition? Yes. So stopthepollutingport.org is our website. Uh, there's a petition up right now that people can sign in opposition to the creation of this public infrastructure district that we've just been talking about. Um, and under the events tab, there's a link to our weekly 7 p.m. on Thursday night meeting. Uh, and everyone's invited to come to that to get more information. Um, we also have a Facebook page, Stop the Polluting Port. 
and uh, we're on Instagram and we're on Twitter. We'll put it we all lots- in the show notes. Okay. We have lots of great volunteers. This is a people-driven, people-powered um, effort to protect our community. Sarah, your advice to anyone who thinks this might be too big of an issue to wrap their arms around and get involved in? Well, my um, experience in life is when I step back and I watch things happen, I feel overwhelmed and angry. And when I step forward and I get involved, I feel empowered and I feel like I'm making a difference. And I I really think more citizens need to step into that space. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean you have to go to, uh, you know, to a public event. We have lots of opportunities that you can do from your home. You know, we're going to be lobbying our, um, our Utah Inland Port Authority. And that's as, probably as simple as a letter or a phone call. And truly, it's great to be able to celebrate, celebrate the small victories we make. And to know that we're making a difference, not only today, but further down the road. Sarah and Dita, thank you so much. I always offer the opportunity for my guests to make comment through a song. Anybody got a a song they want to share that might be related or speak to the moment in your mind? Well, it's so funny. I'm an educator, Laura. (laughs) And today I was working on with fourth graders and we were talking about the settlers and and they're actually looking at the historical angle of Pocahontas as compared to the popular story of Pocahontas. And so we listened to um, Paint with All the Colors of the Wind. You think the only people who are people are the people who look and think like you. But if you walk the footsteps of a stranger, you'll learn things you never knew, you never knew. And then we talked about if that was an accurate representation. And one of the one of the most impactful people that um, has been involved with Stop the Polluting Port, his first name is Carl, and he is with um, Air Protectors, I believe. Yeah, Carl Moore. And he's Native American. And he once said to uh, the Port Authority, you do not have to be the villains. And today, when I was listening to the uh, paint with all the colors of the wind, I thought of Carl and I thought of the wisdom of Native Americans and the wisdom of how much they understood the earth and the consequences of our actions with that engage with that and how much we still have to learn in that. And this what's happening out at our Great Salt Lake and the development All of those are really great examples that we need to listen to the earth and see what she's telling us right now. Thank you, Sarah and Dita. We'll put links in the show notes to the coalition and the other things that they spoke about this evening. I'm Laura Jones. This is Radioactive, plugging into your community with conversation and a playlist to match. Still to come, climate organizer Rebecca Ashley of the Utah chapter of the Sierra Club, plus music from Eels and Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings coming up next. Get that clunker off your to-do list and out of your backyard forever. KRCL's car donation partner, Cars Inc., will tow your vehicle and donate the proceeds to KRCL. Find out if you can get a tax deduction for your used vehicle donation by visiting the support tab at krcl.org. 
Don't miss out on your chance at another KRCL ticket giveaway. Tune in this Wednesday for your chance at tickets to see Jade Bird Monday, October 4th at the State Room. Tune in, follow us on Facebook and Instagram for your chance. Only on 90.9 FM, KRCL, your concert ticket connection since 1979. I'm Laura Jones, and you're listening to Radioactive, plugging you into your community with conversations and a playlist to match weeknights from 6 to 7. Hundreds of Utahns are pushing for 100% clean energy as we enter the 5th Annual Utah Climate Week next week. To find out more, I spoke with a climate organizer from the Utah chapter of the Sierra Club. Hi, my name is Rebecca Ashley. I'm the organizer at the Sierra Club Utah chapter, and I'm really excited to be here today and talk a little bit about some upcoming events that we have to support clean energy in Utah as well as climate action, and then a couple other issue updates that are important and opportunities for folks to take action to protect people on the planet. I believe the fifth annual Utah Climate Week starts on the 26th, and Utah chapter of the Sierra Club has a great webinar coming up that I kind of want to dig into a bit. It's about transforming Utah's energy landscape. We hear a lot of talk at the federal level about how exciting to direct federal dollars to the electric infrastructure. What does that mean here in Utah? And give us kind of a preview of this webinar that's a panel discussion on the Utah 100% Clean Energy Program. Yeah, so really excited to dive into that. So for folks who aren't familiar with the program, the Community Renewable Energy Program was made possible back in 2019. It was followed by the state legislation, House Bill 411, that allows eligible local governments to offer this net 100% renewable electricity option for folks. Um, And so this event will give the community an update on that um, and provide a little bit of info about what's to come, how we can make sure that these communities that made these 100% clean energy commitments are able to follow them through. So how many communities in Utah have actually made this commitment to 100% clean energy? And by what date again? Yeah, so all in all, there were 23 cities and counties that joined the Community Renewable Energy Program. So that's 23 Utah communities with that 100% clean electricity goal. And then in terms of the next step and sort of the timeline here, um, in order for these clean energy commitments to move forward, each local government will need to sign a proposed governance agreement. So it's that next step saying that we've, you know, we've signed on to this program and now we're gonna take the next step to further that commitment um, and start to look towards implementation. And they need to do that by 2022 because it's a a step-by-step process to get these communities there by 2030. So what are some obstacles standing in the way And is there attempts to get more cities to sign on? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think in terms of obstacles, folks are a bit reluctant. There's concerns for cost. Um, And also, I think in the past, there's been a bit of, um, you know, just unknowns, right? It's a big commitment. It's the largest clean energy commitment um, that Utah has made. Um, And so I think people have cold feet. Um, But, you know, events like what we're going to see next week on the 27th during Climate Week, it's a really great opportunity to clear up any doubts, ask, you know, questions from experts who have been working on the renewable energy program um, and try to clear up any doubts or fears. So is this more of a consumer focus in getting these cities there 
versus changing industry? Because there seems to be kind of two competing camps that we need to address in order to get us there. Yeah, I would, I would say it's a bit of both. And, you know, that's a really great question and kind of brings us to the action opportunities and how folks listening in could weigh in. Um, so right now there is a local business pledge um, that we can encourage local businesses as well as organizations to sign on to saying that, hey, I support the Utah 100 communities. Um, I support this clean energy initiative. So if you're a local business owner um, or an employee and you think that this is something that your company or organization would get behind, um, definitely um, ask them to sign on to that pledge. Um, and then you kind of brought this up earlier about, you know, what, what cities and counties have already made this commitment. So right now, um, some of the eligible but not yet committed cities and counties that have to make that next step before January 2022 include Salt Lake County, West Valley City, West Jordan, Orem, Colville, Camas, Oakley, Bluffdale, and Immigration Canyon. So if you're listening in and you live in any of those communities, reach out to your city or county council and urge them to join the Community Renewable Energy Program before the January 2022 deadline. So they've already indicated that they want in, but there's this step they need to take. And being governmental bodies, there's got to be some sort of process through their city councils or commissions, et cetera, that they have to go through. So folks really need to push their elected representatives to make that happen, it sounds like, Rebecca. Absolutely. All right. So this webinar on transforming Utah's energy landscape is coming up during Utah Climate Action Week next week on the 27th at 530. Where can we send people to sign up? Yeah, so you can register for the event by going to bit.ly slash Utah 100 climate. We'll put that link in the show notes. And we still have other things to talk about here. So let's get to our next action items in this conversation and one thing I want to talk about is uh, to start off Climate Week, really, there's this climate strike on September 24th. Yeah, so Sierra Club is really excited to be supporting Fridays for Future Utah and some of our community partners to, um, you know, make this event happen. The global climate strike will be happening at the state capitol here in Salt Lake City on the 24th from 11 to 3 o'clock. And so... This, again, it's an event that's really youth-led. It's been organized by Fridays for Future uh, leaders, which has been really neat to see. And they're going to gather at the Washington uh, at Washington Square at 11 a.m. And they'll actually march together as a community um, up to the south steps of the state capitol. And there's going to be speeches, tabling, um, musical performances, art. And um, yeah, it's going to be a really great, great community event. All right. Two more things before I let you go, Rebecca. What's up with federal coal leasing? Pause, unpause, unpause, pause. What's happening here in Utah in particular or the Intermountain yeah. West? Yeah, yeah. So the Bureau of Land Management, BLM, recently announced it would review the environmental and public health effects of the federal coal leasing program. And it's also continuing that review of the oil and gas leasing so what this means is that we have the chance right now to urge BLM to take meaningful action to protect our climate, health, and these iconic landscapes that are under threat from the fossil fuel industry, um, you know, not just in Utah, but across the country. 
I'm guessing uh, we can direct folks in the show notes to some information online about that. And then lastly, it's the City Hikeathon going on nationwide for the Sierra Club. Yeah, so thanks for bringing that up. So the City Hikeathon is a nationally powered, locally experienced event that's focused on raising money to protect the planet. So Sierra Club's launched a self-led virtual experience for folks across the country to join in. And so from now until October 9th, folks are invited to go to or invited to join a city hike in your hometown, a neighboring city or a place you've always wanted to visit um, and participate in this virtual hike. Great. We'll include a link in the show notes for that as well. Rebecca, happy climate week coming up. Is there a song you'd like to go out with? Ooh, yeah. Um, How about Revolution by the Beatles? And why you want that one? Um, you know, I think I'm feeling the energy as we go into climate week and, and feeling hope with all the work that we've been doing with the youth leaders as well as our community. So you got it, Rebecca. Thanks for plugging in the Sierra Club to our community tonight. Thanks so much.